0: Good morning, everyone, and I will echo Brent's words by saying what a beautiful Lord's day this is. It's good to see you. It's good to be here. So much to be thankful for. David will be back with us tonight, but for the next few minutes, I hope you will tolerate me. And I chose that word because that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about tolerating, toleration, and the negative form intolerance. In our day and time, we're beginning to hear more and more that uh, implies tolerance or just outright talks about being tolerant or intolerant. In fact, uh, we're even seeing now our culture described as a cancel culture. When what that means is that there are certain worldviews of lifestyle and uh, so on and so forth. That if you uh, do not agree with this, you're just canceled out. You don't count for anything. Uh, We are told that we are to, as Christians, accept the things that are going on in the world that go so blatantly against God's word and God's teachings. We are considered as being intolerant when we should tolerate them. Christianity is all about love. God is love. They will say and put that against us when we do not accept them and include them uh, in what we approve. And so what we're talking about, actually this is a lesson I put together several years ago and presented overseas, but it's just as relevant now in our day and time in our culture as it was then. So I want us to look this morning about the Christian view of tolerance. Few definitions are in order. Basically, the definition of uh, tolerance is the ability to be fair and understanding of other people's views that are different from ours. That's the Webster Dictionary definition. And the different areas of tolerance include racial, cultural, political, and religious, but we're going to be centering this morning on thoughts of Christian tolerance. And Christian tolerance goes beyond your view and my view to include God's view. God's word, of course, defines our view or what it should be. And God's view is God's word, God's holy word. This is the Christian standard, which is used to determine Christian tolerance, that which we can tolerate, that which we must not tolerate. So this morning, I want us to look at uh, three broad categories in which we will look at Christian tolerance and how it's applied. First of all, we're going to be looking at tolerance with the world. Secondly, tolerance with religions. And then thirdly, tolerance with Christians. So let's begin, first of all, by directing our thoughts to the first point, and that is Christian tolerance with the world. And what's being compared here is the Christian's values from God's word and the values of the world. So as Christians, God's word teaches us that we are to be good citizens, that we are to obey the laws of the land. Romans 13, the verses 1 through 7, and by the way, in the lesson, I'm going to be doing a lot of scripture reading. This time I brought my large print Bible up here with me so I think maybe that will help me in but uh, if you want to follow along you're welcome to I'm going to be reading from the New King James translation but Romans 13 verses 1 through 7 the word of God says let every soul be subject to the governing authorities for there is the authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good, but if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers, attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs are due, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Now, of course, some of God's laws do reflect God's word. And the further back you go in our country's history, the more that there is in the law that does coincide with the teachings of God's word. You go to Washington, D.C., and you just begin looking purposefully at inscriptions on different buildings, even the top plate of the Washington Monument as seen from the air, and you see scripture, not so much this day less and less but some of God's or man's laws do reflect God's word but when such causes us to compromise God's word then tolerance ends we see this in acts 4:19 through 20 acts 4:19 through 20 but Peter and John answered and said to them And this, of course, is in the context of them preaching the kingdom of God, being hauled before the authorities and made to give account of themselves and to stop preaching Christ. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. But we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So certainly a Christian is not to tolerate at all the sins of the world, period. Sins of the flesh, period. We cannot tolerate it. We are told that we are to be separate from the world. In first John chapter two, in verses fifteen through seventeen. First John two, fifteen through seventeen. abides forever. The world philosophy of humanism cannot in any form be tolerated by Christians, for it makes self to be God. Humanism, on the surface, if you don't know much about it, sounds humanitarian, but it is far from the meaning of being humanitarian doing good to your fellow man. Humanism is a philosophy and worldview which places man at the center. It makes man his own God. It doesn't recognize the God of heaven. Humanism has been around since the early parts of the last century, and it is slow but constant. The goal of humanism is for the long game, and it's patient, gradually, little by little, promoting its agenda. Very early in the last century, it began to make itself known in our public schools and in the textbooks and in the laws of the land. It didn't make a big name for itself, but little by little, step by step, slowly but surely, it begins to infuse the idea that you are your own God, that there is no God in heaven that dictates who you are and what you're supposed to do and what you can do. I was on the board several years ago for Tri County Bible School. Uh, That was looking at uh, textbooks and we had uh, before us the current selection that were used by the uh, public schools and also some books that were produced by Bible by Bible believing and God fearing people and There you could see the contrast in the textbooks and this was back in the 80s and it was so obvious the contrast But it's here, and uh, Satan is not a dummy. He knows how to bring about his purposes. It's slow but sure, and we must be alert to it. Humanism is a human philosophy. It puts man as God, and it cannot be tolerated. So the Christian uh, tolerance with the world is simply this. As far as the laws of man coincide with God's word, we are to be good good citizens and obey. The God of the Bible tells us so, but at the point in which it deviates from what is in God's word, we do not tolerate it, and we make no apology for that. We simply cannot condone it. We don't practice it. We don't promote it. And when asked, we let it be known. I cannot condone this for it is against God's word. But then second of all, let's look at Christian tolerance to religions. Being compared here is the validity of non-Christian religions and Christianity. And Christianity here in the broad sense, sometimes we might refer to it as Christendom. Examples, Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism. Each world religion, including Christianity, has a system of teachings uh, that it considers to be authoritative. Sometimes those teachings reflect teachings from God's word, again, and to that degree, we can tolerate them. But as a whole, God has only one authoritative system of teaching, uh, Christianity, and that is from God's Word. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the worlds. And so Christians cannot tolerate any other religion. We must live among them peacefully, but not condone them. Again, several years ago in the 70s, we were in West Africa. And there were two or three uh, Muslim mosques in the town where we worked with the church. And you would hear them in their minarets uh, doing their call to prayer. You would see them in their robes. You'd see them bowing down, praying toward Mecca. Uh, But at that time, there was no animosity. We did not condone them. They knew that we didn't. They didn't accept our uh, faith in God, but there was peace. There was coexistence. Uh, We preached the word of God and let it fall into the hearts where it will, and they practiced their religion. We tried to, when there was opportunity, to study the Bible with them. That didn't usually get very far. But anyway, uh, for the most part, Christianity cannot tolerate a religion that is other than from God. So I think all of that is pretty much uh, common knowledge. I think we're all on the same page there, no problem. But when we come to the third area that we want to look at, Christian tolerance with Christians, ironically, it seems to me that uh, here, we run into some difficulties uh, among ourselves. So here we must first determine who is and who is not a Christian. Not all claiming to be Christians are Christians. In Matthew 7, 21 uh, through 22, we are told that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And so here we find that just to say that I'm a Christian, that I believe in God, that I believe in Jesus, that I believe in God's word, doesn't necessarily mean that they are Christians. We have to determine who is a Christian and who is not a Christian. Of course, the gospel is what saves one from sins. We read in Romans 1 in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God, his salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So the gospel is that which saves one from sins. Going further, we know what the gospel is. If the gospel is that which saves us from sin, what exactly is the gospel? And we read this from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 5. Paul clearly tells us what the gospel is. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. And so here we see, That the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we know that. We know that the gospel saves. We know that the gospel is the sacrifice of our Lord on the cross. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Furthermore, we know what first Christians did to obey the gospel. We read in Acts chapter 2, verses 38 through 47 then peter said to them repent let every one of you be baptized in the name of jesus christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the holy spirit for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off as many as the lord god will call and with many other words he testified and exhorted them saying be saved from this perverse generation Then those who gladly received the word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all, as everyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved and so we know the gospel we know what the gospel is we know how the gospel is to be obeyed and this is what makes a christian this is how one becomes a christian if one has not submitted to these conditions that we have just read from god's word He is not a Christian. He is not a Christian. He may be as looking as much like a Christian as anybody in his attitudes and in his thoughts and in his deeds, his conduct. He may be devout in his attendance to a worship service and to a church. But simply put... Can we tolerate him as a Christian? I'm not saying to live with him peacefully, but can we look to him and his status with God, according to the Word of God, and accept him as a Christian? Brethren, I believe the Word of God is the judge here, not us. And from what we have just read, which tells us that the gospel says and what the gospel is and how one obeys the gospel, it's truth when I say that anyone who does not submit to these conditions is not a Christian by the definition of God, not us. And that may be hard for us to accept. It may be hard concerning our friends in the world but we're talking about tolerance and intolerance. We cannot accept one as a Christian at face value. He must be a Christian according to God's word. Christian tolerance among Christians is another thing. I'm talking about those of us who have truly obeyed the gospel of Christ, met the conditions of God's word to become a Christian What about among ourselves? How we get along with one another, how we tolerate one another. Christian tolerance among Christians has to do with the degree of spiritual understanding and the conscience of each. That's what we're talking about. When we narrow this topic down and we're talking about tolerance, within the body of believers, those who have truly obeyed the gospel of Christ. There are two chapters in uh, Paul's epistles that address this. And I'm going to take the time, I've timed this, and I believe I have time to do this within the usual time given for the sermon. But turn to Romans 14 and then also 1 Corinthians 8. And I'm going to be reading in entirety Romans 14 and then Romans chapter, or 1 Corinthians chapter 8. So first we'll look at Romans 14. Receive one another who is weak in the faith, but not to disciples over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received received him. Who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord and he who does not Observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. For he, uh, for he who eats, eats to the Lord. For he gives God thanks, and he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat, and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and rose and lives again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But who do you judge? Uh, But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before judgment at the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow before me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but he who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet, if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man. Who eats with offense? It is good neither to eat meat, nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles, or is offended, or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves, but he who doubts is condemned. If he eats because he does not eat from faith, for whatever is not from faith is sin. And then we go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no other god but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, As there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some, with consciousness of the idol, until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat or we are the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worst. But beware, lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak, For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge, shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience... You sin against Christ. Therefore, if God makes any brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. And so these are the words of the Apostle Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit. So what are we to learn and glean from these two chapters that we have just read? As Christians, we are continually reading and studying the scriptures throughout our lives. And as we do, we continually discover deeper meanings of scripture. I'm sure all of us have found this to be true. The same thing is also occurring among other Christians. This means that Christians are always at different levels of understanding. At any given point in time. And brethren, there will always be Christians who understand more than me. And there will always be Christians who understand less than me. At every point in our growth, the degree of our spiritual understanding contributes or constitutes our faith or conscience at that point. And if we violate our conscience, the degree of our spiritual understanding, we sin according to God's word. We must never assume that other Christians are at the point in their spiritual understanding as we are. Let me repeat that because I need to hear it again. If I need to hear it again and again, probably you do as well. Here it is. We must never assume that other Christians are at the point in their spiritual understanding as we are. We must take care not to criticize those with less understanding. And we must take care not to condemn those who appear to allow more than we do part of the maturing process is discerning exactly what constitutes principle and this is an important aspect in this conversation principle basic principles of christianity are usually discerned by all christians regardless of where they are in understanding for example baptism There is no right or left on that. The Bible is clear on baptism, not a problem. The same with the elements of worship, love, preaching the gospel in the church. These I would call basic principles and practically never is there serious disagreement among us. But beyond that, in other areas, especially in the areas of opinion, there is great variance and differences problems with tolerance comes with the externals not the internals problems with tolerance come with the externals of the principles how when where etc so when a christian violates a basic principle in his life or teaches something contrary to a basic principle and refuses to repent such behavior cannot be tolerated. Christians should try to get the erring Christian to repent. And if the erring Christian refuses to repent, he has to be put away from the church. I'm going to read one more chapter in God's Word relative to this. First Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and it's not as long as the others. I think we have time. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. And you are puffed up and have not rather uh, mourned, that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed, as absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present, him who has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the lord jesus your glorying is not good do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexual immoral people of this world or with the covetous or exhaustioners or idolaters since you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reveler or a drunkard, or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge who are inside? But uh, but those who are outside God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person." Easier said than done, I know. But that doesn't nullify the clear teaching of Scriptures. When it comes to tolerating sin in the world, we have no problem. But sometimes when it comes to sin within the body of Christ, unrepented of, we have no choice. We cannot tolerate it. And there must be discipline. Discipline. That person must be put out until he chooses to repent and to come back. The purpose of toleration among Christians is to maintain unity, peace, and edification. Romans 14 and verse 19, the Bible says, Therefore, let us pursue the things which are for peace and the things by which one may edify one another. So bringing these thoughts together to a conclusion, we simply must try to be try to be at peace with all people. Romans 12:18 Paul says, if it is possible as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. But when a relationship leads to compromising God's word, whether in the world or in the church, we must be true to God's word. We'll end with this scripture reading from Acts 4, verses 19 and 20. But Peter and John answered and said to them, We've already read it once, but here it is again. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which you have seen and heard. And so as we have to do with tolerance and intolerance in the world, especially within the body of Christ, let's always be aware of what God's word says. It all comes back to God's word. And this defines what we should believe and how we should conduct our lives relative to toleration. Brethren, as we have assembled together, there may be some among us who have not obeyed the gospel. And I think we've made it, or rather God's word has made it rather clear. That until one obeys the, uh, the conditions of salvation as outlined in the scriptures, you're outside of Christ. And outside of Christ is condemnation. You're lost. And so the song has been selected as an encouragement for you to respond. If you see that you need to act upon your faith in God by repenting of your sins, by confessing that Jesus is the Son of God, and by being baptized and repenting of your sins and being baptized in the name of Christ for the remission of sins, you can leave this building saved. If you are encouraged to do this today, we welcome your response as we stand now and sing.